This is Battleground PA, a pen live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Hello, everyone. This is Joyce Davis, Penn Live's opinion editor, bringing you another Battleground PA podcast. And with me today to talk about, oh my goodness, history in the making on every dimension is Rajette Harris, our Democratic analyst. Hello, Rajette. Hello. We, we have our standard Jeffrey Lord, who's full of history and humor. Hello, Jeffrey, representing our Republicans. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, and we also have with us as our special guest, John Cole, who is with Politics PA. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me back. Wonderful. It's great to have you back. So, guys, do we have anything to talk about? <laughs> I think we do. Let's start with the most pressing thing, just to get that out of the way, and we may return to that, is our primaries. It would be great to give an overview of these primaries. They went, I think, about as well as can be expected expected, considering we're in the middle of a pandemic and protests. But, Rajat, why don't you give us the overview? From the Democratic standpoint, how did it look? Well, if we compare the 2016, uh, turnout was actually a little lower. At least in Dauphin County, we had about a 64-65% turnout for both sides. Now, with that said, four years ago, we didn't have a pandemic. <laughs> there are a lot of things that happened this year that are different. We had mail-in voting this year. We had new voting machines. So a lot of things changed, different polling locations. I think the one thing that was expected is that more Democrats mailed in their votes, whereas more Republicans went to the polls. So until all of those votes are counted, we're not going to really know a lot of results, especially for the contested races. I see. Jeffrey, you agree with that? How, how were things? You went to the polls, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I went to the polls in person and cast my ballot. I'm shocked at that because I thought you and I were on the same page at taking care of ourselves. <laughs> Well, okay. I wanted to show up and do my patriotic duty in person. All right. And there were other people there doing the same thing. I was speaking with someone this morning who, who is in a, a different polling place over in uh, Hamden Township, and they said that they were told that there were hundreds and hundreds of mail-in ballots mm -hmm. uh, that you know had yet to be counted and all of this sort of thing. So clearly, people are using it. I really think the big takeaway from this is we voted. Everything is okay. Hopefully it will be better in November. But there was no disaster here that I'm able to see. Uh, and that's in the middle of a lot going on. So that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. And let's hear what the outsider says. Tom, are you in agreement with them or did you see some problems? Uh, so far, so good. It's just interesting because, uh, like you mentioned, usually on election night, um, you know, we're up all night waiting for results and they usually come in that night. Right now, there's several races in the state, even from a statewide race in the Auditor General primary for the Democrats that we're still waiting on final results in several counties. And along with a few congressional primaries that are in uh, some battleground areas of the state that we're still kind of waiting to see what happens. I mean, everything went well, but with the new mail-in ballots uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, maybe this will be the new normal where we don't know everything on election night. We'll keep waiting for results to come in. But having said that, I think just to reiterate what Rajette and Jeffrey said, I think it went pretty well, though. 
It went, went pretty well considering everything, but I'm going to tell you, I, I got my ballot in by mail and early. I did not want to have to go into a poll because I'm telling you guys, I can take care of myself and trust my own behavior, but I can't trust other people's behavior. That's where I went. And even when I went to the protest, people came up and touched me. Can you believe it? <laughs> they actually touched me. I couldn't believe it. People are not honoring that six foot distance. But okay. Can I, can I pick you off real quick? Yo, Joyce, John one, said. one other thing yeah. I should say. I, that I observed, there were no Russians at my polling place. <laughs> there weren't. Okay. That's a very good thing. Just kind of piggyback a little bit. Like in Dauphin County, uh, the county received over 33,000 uh, mail-in ballots and absentee ballots. And Dauphin County is one of the six counties that the Governor Wolf put in his executive order extending a week for people to still get their ballots in because of some of the issues with receiving them. So this kind of goes to show it for some of our contested race, we have one of those congressional races that's too close to call. It could take a week or two or maybe even more before we actually have those results. So uh, patience is a virtue, and we're all going to have to have some of that. (laughs) For the first time in my entire voting history, there were two uniformed police officers on duty, which I thought was interesting. Why do you think they were there? You thought they expected some unrest or protest or what? you know, and I didn't talk to them. They they had their masks on, as a matter of fact, but they mm-hmm. pulled up just as I was there. I didn't have a chance to talk to them, but it seemed to me that they were there in case there was some sort of trouble. They came in and then they uh, took a position uh, a few feet, you know, six feet or so from each other uh, right there in the gym so that they could see everything that's going on. And they were clearly there for the day. And this was in Camp Hill? This was in East Pensboro Township, the first East precinct. Okay, yeah. okay. It, it was right. in Enola. All right. So let me ask you, John, any surprises from what you're you're seeing so far, at least as the returns are starting coming, is there anything that, you know, caught your eye and say, whoa, I didn't expect that? I would say this, and the trend of some of these bigger cities, your Philadelphia's, your Pittsburgh's, your progressive areas of the uh, state, the progressive primary challengers are winning these races there, too, where these more establishment folks, who have been around for a while, have lost. Thus far, we can already confirm, now we're still waiting on more results, but thus far we can already confirm that three incumbents in the state legislature have already lost, all three of them, progressive challengers in the city of Philadelphia. Possibly the most high-profile one was uh, State Senator Larry Farnese in the 1st District in Philadelphia. He lost to Nikhil Saval, who was a co-founder of Reclaim Philadelphia, the pro-Bernie group. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders endorsed a total of four candidates in Pennsylvania. He was one of them. And Saval won pretty handily from what we've seen thus far. Again, we're still waiting on more results to come in. But the fact that the Associated Press called it already is a signal to me that he won it rather handily. And there was two other uh, primary challengers as well in Philadelphia that won uh, against incumbent. They were state house races. Representative Donna Tucci lost. And I think she's in South Philadelphia as well. And um, there's one other one I, I'll pull up in a second. The point being, uh, they all lost to progressive challengers. And I've noticed right now from results that we're still kind of tracking in Pittsburgh, it looks like there's going to be a few, another progressive upset or two out there. So, again, I think we're going to see more in the next few days. But it's certainly that even though Bernie Sanders was not on, you know, even though he's, he wasn't really against Biden in this because um, he dropped out a while ago, the Bernie-type candidates seemingly so far from first initial reaction, they did pretty well in the primaries. So is this the rising of the progressives, Rajat? What, what, do you agree that this is a sign that they're gaining strength? And don't get upset, uh, Jeffrey. We'll be with you in a minute. 
I know you got a lot to say, but go ahead, Rosette. I've been saying all year that the Democrat Party, we need progressives in our party to win these races. They're a large group and they want change. And the best way to make change is to elect people who share your views. And they are doing that. So, you know, much respect to them for that. They have a platform they went through. They went through and they're electing candidates that's going to push for it. Jeffrey, you're, you're, are you scared there? What's going no, on? No, I, I mean, we've, we've seen this. I mean, I think the first harbinger of this was Bernie Sanders himself in 2000, uh, 2016. And then sometime after that, the election of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in, in the Bronx in New York. And recall that she defeated a, a longtime, if you will, machine Democrat uh, congressman. Right. So I think that trend is continuing. It's going on around the country. And I, I'm not at all surprised that it's going on here. So let me ask you guys, did the protest, do you think the protest that we've been dealing with and where we are now as a country, did that have any impact on this, on the primary? Uh, John, you want to you go for that? I think that still remains to be seen. As of now, I think one of the things that I'm really looking forward to tracking is seeing how many, you know, mail-in ballots come in and is there a fault on the lines of where, is it more Democrats? I mean, we saw that a lot more Democrats requested mail-in ballots than Republicans, more than two to one, I believe, in Pennsylvania. So that's something we'll have to continue to monitor where at least those voters are voting with, uh, with mail-in ballots. So in terms of the protests, I think we'll still have to see as the results trickle in. I actually see a protest on both sides. The Republican Party has uh, ousted out Stephen King, a uh, congressman in Iowa, and he is a self-proclaimed white nationalist. So there is uh, many protests on the Republican side as well. We had in Ferguson, I'm sure we all rem remember Michael Brown, another black man uh, killed, and it's a black man killed by police. They just elected their first black and their first woman, a mayor. And as we all know, it's the mayors that elect the police chiefs. So I do think that these protests are working to the point that I think people finally see that the protests are good to get your message out, but it's the change happens at the ballot box. So, you know, they're marching to the ballot boxes in some of these cities and making the changes that they want to see in their communities. And I think that's great. So, Jeffrey, how what, do you feel about that? Do you see that the, happen? Yeah, I mean, by the, I mean, as, as if we've learned nothing else this year, it's that, you know, we could wake up tomorrow in the entire situation, something else could have happened. Lord only knows right. what, as it were. Um, so you've got to, you know, you got to allow for that. But one of the things that I took a look at, and I've written about this for the American Spectator, and, and of course, I'm now old enough to remember this. In 1965, there was a massive riot in the Watts section of Los Angeles. In 1967, there were, I think the accurate number was something like 158 riots in cities around the country, the biggest ones being in Newark, New Jersey in July and then lost, uh, I'm sorry, Detroit, Michigan, a couple of weeks later in, in the latter part of July. Uh, then we got to 1968. Dr. King was assassinated and, uh, you know, cities all over America erupted. My point is that what, what this effectively did was give Richard Nixon his law and order platform, which he ran on. I was uh, <clears throat> a 17-year-old page at the Republican National Convention of 1968 and, you know, was there and saw Nixon and 
he gave his speech and he talked about American cities aflame and all of this kind of thing. Um, and separately, Democrat, uh, and I emphasize Democrat, George Wallace, who was the governor of Alabama, was the, uh, ran as a third party candidate collectively and on sort of on the same law and order platform. And collectively between he and Nixon, they got almost 57% of the vote in the fall. So, uh, to 42% for Hubert Humphrey. So my point here is if this, uh, rioting situation, not protests, riots, and there's a difference, uh, keeps going, that could rebound to Donald Trump's favor. All right. Well, what from that yet, but well, why don't, why don't we take a pause here? We're just going to take a quick pause. And when we come back, we're going to switch from our local discussion to where you guys have been leading us to the national team. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. And if you want to join us on this podcast, uh, you can do so at Battleground PA on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at topic at battlegroundpa.org. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. That was quick, right? All right, let's move into the national team, guys. Look, lots of been go- it's been going on from the pandemic. We've got that, and, and the question of how is that starting to influence things to the unemployment, but clearly to these protests. And Jeffrey, you have brought up that you see the protests possibly, especially if they are, or, or the if there is rioting or looting that benefiting Donald Trump. But do you have any concerns that Donald Trump may not be playing his hand correctly by standing in front of a church with a Bible that most people don't believe he reads? Well, you know, I thought he did exactly the right thing. And, oh, my and, goodness. And, and, and to be new. criticized for holding up a Bible. You know, I checked in with Christianity Today, which is a liberal Christian publication that called for the president's removal during the impeachment thing. And they had a very interesting story with a very interesting photograph. It was all about George Floyd and his activities with the church in Houston, Texas. And they had a picture of George Floyd holding up the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is a very natural reflex for a lot. All right. Well, let's see what our other folks have to say. John, how are you? Well, no, let's hear Rajat. The the Democrat side, then we'll come into you because you're you're allowed to have an independent view. Rajat. The controversy comes with what happened before he walked across the street using rubber bullets and other mechanisms to get rid of the crowd. I listened to Defense Secretary Mark Asper's press conference early this morning, and even he said that he doesn't support the deploying of active troops uh, for political reasons. So specifically, he specifically said there were no no tear gas and no rubber bullets. But they did use different techniques to, and, and those, and they weren't looters. They were protesting quietly and peacefully. And there were mechanisms used to remove them for Trump to walk across the street. I thought some of the people who were at the church said they had been subjected to tear gas. The, uh, this, this pastor or the Episcopal priest who was there has been on television talking about, um, the, the impact of all this. You did not hear that, Jeffrey? I just don't agree. I mean, I've written a post. The Washington Post is saying this. The the New York Times is saying that there were tear gas. They did not use tear gas. But even if they didn't use tear gas, they did use other items to remove the protesters from the street. In order to clear the park was given in the morning, long before Donald Trump decided to walk over there. And it wasn't carried out 
the attorney general went there personally to make sure that it did get carried out. Then the president decides to go. The park police did not know at that point that he was coming. So this whole conspiratorial business that has been cooked up about this is just well, you know what? ridiculous. You know, and frankly, as somebody who worked in the White House. We don't House, know when the audit was given, but the perception looks bad to push people, especially those religious people who were in their church, out of that church and to have them now on national television going everywhere they can, complaining about how this was defaming their church and defaming the Bible and defaming a sacred place. They're the saying church, that. I'm not saying it. John, let us bring you in here. John, the you want to add your thoughts? By these so-called riots. Which is not good, absolutely. John, you want to come in and, and share some of your thoughts on this? I hate uh, for this to sound like a cop-out, but basically we've gotten to the point in time in, uh, what, three and a half years of the President Trump's uh, administration where People who are loyal to President Trump will, you know, they support most of what he does. It's very rare to see things I disagree with. And Democrats, by and large, many things that they find him to do controversial, they're going to call it out. Uh, I, I guess there remains to be seen how much is it going to move the needle. Just because yeah. I feel like we yeah. have some of these stories happen rather often where Democrats get riled up by something President Trump does. But his base sticks strongly with him. I mean, look at his approval rating within the Republican Party. So, uh, again, to Democrats, I think it's fair to say, like you mentioned, there were a lot of Democrats were enraged by uh, what happened just a few days ago. But at the same time, uh, it's not as if it's going to put a dent in his support at all. I don't, th- at least I don't think so. Um, maybe could it, is that something that maybe you can bring other votes to the polls? Uh, possibly, but I'm just saying out of his supporters, I don't think they view it uh, as a negative at all. It's just kind of another event in which Trump has done something where it pit, you know, pitted the two sides against each other where Republicans buy I have to ask you all, what about those people who are not declared, who are independent? I mean, I agree with you, John, that it might not move the needle, but I do think there's a difference between the Republican voters and Trump voters. And we saw that in Iowa when Stephen King lost his election last, last night. Those were Republican voters. So it makes me wonder, how do they think about Trump? I had a doctor's appointment yesterday, and I was speaking to a woman. Uh, she didn't know I was the Democratic chair, but we were just talking about the election. She's Republican. And she said, boy, I wish there was someone running against Trump. I don't want to vote for Biden, but I wish I had another choice. How many other Republicans are like that, and how will they vote in November? And I think that's something that we need to keep in mind. One thing might be interesting, just to counter what you're saying or just to add on to it, I guess when we see more of the results come in from Pennsylvania's primary, we'll see, you know, where, of course, Trump, as just like Biden, won with ease in this primary. I'm curious to see, uh, I think Bill Weld was also on the uh, the Republican side as well who ran. I'm curious to see how, in the suburban Philadelphia specifically, where Republicans are kind of losing ground, I'm curious to see if possibly that, you know, maybe some of those Republicans that they were registered Republican, they couldn't vote uh, for Biden at that point. Maybe they'll switch over to Biden in the general. But then one can make the same case as registered Democrats in PA that probably did a protest vote. Maybe they voted for Bernie or Tulsi Gabbard. And maybe in the general, they'll vote for Trump. We'll see what those crossover voters are like in Pennsylvania. I think we're going to have a, a decent amount of them, too. We will get back to issues other than the ones that have been other than the virus and and all of the uh, riots and protests and that sort of thing. I mean, the, the, first, maybe not. Example I don't know. <laughs> the first example that springs to mind is fracking. And Joe Biden and, and Democrats are campaigning against fracking and they want to shut fracking down. There's a lot of jobs in Pennsylvania with people working in the fracking industry. Uh, and I think right there, that's going to be a problem. 
Well, listen, uh, look, we've got, we could talk about this all day. It's clear these protests are, and, or riots or whatever, if it continues, it's going to have an impact. But let's talk a little bit about a, a few other developments, one of which clearly is the, uh, Jeffrey, I'd love to hear you weigh on this, the, the uh, president wanting to move the convention uh, because he does not want to have restrictions, um, at least for the coronavirus in place. What, what are your thoughts on that? How is that going over? Well, you know, having been to my fair share of conventions for a long time, these Republican or Democrat, these are massive enterprises that you're that you're putting on. And uh, clearly what uh, Republicans and I assume that goes for the Republican National Committee, which is charged with putting this on. Clearly, they are concerned that they would get there and then the Democratic governor would say, well, you can't come in, you know, you're, you're going to have to limit the number of people, et cetera in effect, interfering in the convention. So I suspect that's why they're moving it. Uh, they want assurances in whatever city that they can run their convention as they like. I mean, this is something, frankly, that Democrats would insist on, too, if they were in the same situation. Well, I have to disagree with you a little bit on that, Jeffrey. I just see this as another move where, you know, Trump wants what he wants. He can't make the governor give him what he wants, so he's going to move it somewhere else. I mean, he's, again, going against the advice of his own experts, which is, well, I mean, at this time... I mean, there's so much money involved in this. If you have the convention there and the governor says, well, I'm not going to let X number of people go in the auditorium... You, but you there's a pandemic going on, though. What's well, more important, the possibility of people getting ill or you standing up on a stage with a bunch of people well, cheering then, you then, on? Then, then move the convention to a city that wants it. No, you need to be thinking about the, your your voters, your constituents. You shouldn't want and you shouldn't want people to get sick. Yeah, but, but the, just, but just so that you can have a blurry moment. That's it's for the, very that's selfish. It's for very selfish. Make. So well, what's going to happen on one of his own properties? <laughs> I mean, right. I think I think it's clearly we've got a lot of issues here that are still going to be hammered out in these next few weeks. But I, I think the issue of whether you subject people to the coronavirus, if it's still underway in August, is one that that's really problematic. Jeffrey, would you be going as well without a mask and, and simply to the to the No, convention? I'd go with a mask. Sure. Because as that's one of the things Yeah, that's one of the things I thought was being called for that nobody wears a mask. Nobody's wearing a mask where? To the convention, to the Republican oh, to the convention. convention. I thought that was well, one and of you know, the just as an observation here. Let's recall two sets of protests. One was the, the, the couple of protests we had here in Harrisburg um, about reopening the government and, and these protests around the, around the country. And people were complaining about the fact that they didn't wear masks. Well, suddenly now the situation has changed totally. We're all into these protests and riots and people, people are out there and nobody cares that they're not social distancing and that they're not wearing masks. Well, I care. What does I agree that say? With, I agree with you. They should be wearing a mask. I, I said last week during our um, podcast, I have nothing against protests. It's, it's an American tradition. But during this time, uh, people should wear a mask to protect them and other people. But we can't remember that the protests is addressing another pandemic in this country. We have the pandemic of racism. And we don't have a vaccine over the past several centuries that has been able to fix it. So we have to understand well, you know, and start addressing that pandemic as well. 
I've written well, I've written a lot about this, and I have a suggestion that uh, we get into uh, reparations. And what we do is we have, since the Democratic Party is on record having supported slavery, segregation, lynching, and the Ku Klux Klan, that every Democrat candidate for every office every year give half of their campaign funds to a reparation fund. And not Republicans? They would be left out because they've been holier than thou? <laughs> because Republicans <laughs> oppose slavery and they oppose segregation. Oh and my they oppose goodness. lynching and they oppose the Ku Klux Klan. Well, racism is an American. You'd be drumming up a lot of protests. But look, guys, we're going to have to leave the podcast here. And I'm going to have to thank both of you, along with John Cole, for joining us for yet another Battleground PA podcast. See you again next week. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. More info and past episodes can be found at battlegroundpa.org.